Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome back, sports fans, to another episode of the Charity Stripe Podcast brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one sports podcast network in Los Angeles. For those listening at home, on the road, in the air, or in the water, do you believe? We have a great show for you guys today. David Meltzer of Sports One Marketing joins the team to give you some serious insight like you've never been given insight before. So buckle up, tuck it into your waistband, because here we go. Three, two, one. We're back. We sitting here, I'm supposed to be the franchise player, and we're in here talking about practice. Clock at five. Pass is intercepted at the goal line by Malcolm Butler. Rebound box. Back out to Allen. History final. Back. Gives it to Jenkins for the championship. He's going for the corner. He's got it. Bases loaded. Two out. We're back, baby. It's the Charity Stripe. Hit your free throws because they are free. So 222 coming hot at you guys. And so 221. And I'm flanked on my left and on my right by offensive and defensive coordinators Nikki Snacks Kreider and Alex Tossing the Rock Tosopoulos. And you heard it in the intro. We have David Meltzer of Sports One Marketing joining the team today. He used to be CEO of Steinberg Sports. You work for Sprint, I believe, in the cell phone department. Close, you were a yeah. lawyer somewhere <laughs> around there. You're a three-time international best-selling author. And you won, what, Variety Magazine, Sports Humanitarian of the Year? Yeah. Remarkable, right, as a sports agent? Yeah. When was the last time you slept, dude? Dude, you don't need sleep. There's enough time to sleep when you're dead. It's all about activity. You get paid for activity. You don't get paid for. Wow. All right. Um, <laughs> that's <laughs> number, that's number I'm, one. I'm going to rhyme with you, man. Yeah, good. I'm, I'm in for it. So before we get into the nitty-gritty, what is Sports One Marketing? For those listening out there, just give them a little taste of that. Sure. It, it's a really an evolution from uh, Lee Steinberg's sports. Yeah. Most people... Lee was the most notable sports agent in the world. I didn't like being a sports agent. Yeah. Right? I felt it limited the amount of money you could make. I also thought it limited the capacity of the athlete itself and that we could do much bigger things with the athletes. And I tried to implement that with Lee, but he was having some alcohol difficulties at the time. Yeah. So Warren Moon, <laughs> Warren Moon the Hall of Fame quarterback, who was a partner of mine, loved the idea of utilizing our relationships with the athletes to pay them more uh, to help charity. Okay, and, and that's where it all started. So what we decided was, look, we have one degree of separation from almost everybody in the country, let alone the world, because of the athletes and the access that we've got. Well, it's a crazy partnership because you're a sports agent, right? And so you're working with the athletes. And then Warren Moon, we're, Warren Moon is just such a revolutionary player. You know, he's technically he's Jackie Robinson of football. Thank you. Right. I wish more people would know that. He didn't oh, know. Yeah. He, no, listen, I, I, I told you at Super Bowl it was the first autograph I've ever gotten as a kid. Was Warren Moon, and he is such a special player in the NFL, and the respect he still commands today. I mean, he's coming on. He's on. He was on NFL Live, and you could really even see it in the guys interviewing him and having him on, 
just like the pedigree that he still holds in the room. So the one degree of separation ho- totally holds true. Right. And let me just touch on you wanted some insight because the show is so killer, right? Let, let me tell you why more people don't know that about Warren Moon. Yeah. Because he has everything marketing and branding wise against him. So take number one that he's known to have played for Canada for six years. So yeah. the story of why is because he was black, right? And he had to play in Canada for six years. So that's one ding that his first six years of his career was in Edmonton. Mm-hmm. Then he moves to Houston and he sets every record in the world at Houston and he outproves himself by far, in my opinion. But then Houston, right, moves to Tennessee and the agreement with the NFL is they can't market the Houston Oilers, only the Tennessee Titans. So he gets that ding on it. Yeah. Then as he gets older and being the first African-American in the Hall of Fame, the NFL doesn't promote that story like the way they do Jackie Robinson or Roberto Clemente, who we represented the Clemente family, so I'm wow, very close really, yeah. to that, and I helped with the Jackie Robinson movie and, and, and statue at UCLA. This was always where I felt the social change, like we need to educate people about equality. Well, the NFL doesn't want to promote the story of Warren Moon, obviously. Mm-hmm. Right. It, they don't want to promote the fact that, you know, because they start pulling those scouting reports to say that he's not intelligent enough. He's not tall enough. Guy, we still see it, man. I mean, Jalen Hurts, the guy came in second in the Heisman, slinging the rock all over the place. And I hate that. I'm, I'm a Texas yeah. fan. He's an, o, he's an OU guy. I, I, listen, I'm a Buckeye fan. So nothing, I'm exactly, nothing pains me more than seeing OU win and a yeah. quarterback be good. But like still, they're like talking about this kid changing positions. I mean, we Lamar saw Jackson, Lamar Jackson, Lamar yeah. Jackson changing One positions. MVP. They didn't even and it goes to an economic status where, you know, they didn't even have enough jerseys to sell. Of Lamar's, right? They're really? down. Yeah, they, they, that was a big issue at the end of the season. They I did not. Know they that. ran That's out of ridiculous. jerseys. Anyway, going back to to where this yeah, happened please. now, as you know, we develop this idea of someday they won't even mention black quarterback. They'll just say tall quarterback, weak arm, bad processing speed, mm-hmm. or whatever. We'll just see quarterbacks. Like my son is nine, and one of the greatest joys of my life is when. Uh, the new president, I won't even use his name because uh, I don't want any political connotation to this, but he said to me, the new president was elected. He goes, oh, my God, Dad. I'm like, what? He goes, we have a white president. Wow. Because he's oh, never a white president. Yeah. wow. Because he identified Jesus. presidency with an African-American president because his whole crazy, life from yeah. the time he was born, that's all he saw on TV. So surprising to him. And he was just young enough where he wasn't really studying presidents yet. That's great, though. I actually really enjoyed it. And that's that. what I wanted to be that, quarterback. Yeah. That, like... Oh my God, we got a white quarterback. This is awesome. <laughs> well, Harbaugh, yeah, Harbaugh has a great quote saying that you know people, kids are going to grow up wearing number eight jerseys. Yeah, Lamar, which is which is awesome. I mean, your son plays football. Yeah, he's going to start playing tackle football actually. Oh damn, and yeah. you're, you're in for that. Yeah, well, you know, I got him baseline tested, and I, I played myself for all right. College. You played in college, and yeah, so yeah. you know, as long as I keep an eye on what's going on, and if I'm going to be very conscious of making sure any injuries are healed before yeah and look you know the pretty light league i'm you know it goes by weight and he's built like me so he weighs like two pounds <laughs> nah, nah, so there's, yeah. only so, there's only so much pounding you heart, can take right? exactly. as long as you don't get, as long as you don't get tackled you're pretty good that's the yeah, that was mine I'm, i can run scared really fast so that's <laughs> kills, how I you start him in, in six man is yeah. that what you start him? i start him in flag okay right for, until he's 10 and then I, I i go ahead and move him up a lot of parents say 12 or 13 um, I'm okay at 10 and, and I'll keep an eye on his, his injuries, but let's go back to the business. Side. Please. So yeah. Then Warren and I, 
we really believe in social change. Yeah. And we figure out a formula to make a lot of money mm -hmm. so we can help a lot of people and have a lot of fun. We're both capitalists. In fact, I wrote a book, Compassionate Capitalism, mm -hmm. about how people don't challenge themselves and the importance of money. Take Bezos, for example. Say what you want about Amazon, but his capability of making so much money, he gave $10 billion to our environment. Okay? None of us at this table, probably in our lifetimes, I hope we do, will outdo the impact of that $10 billion. That's a significant, and my goal in life is to impact over a billion people on earth just to be happy. So I know making money is gonna be a critical role of that. I knew that I could use my relationship capital, this one degree of separation, to use an athlete as a bug light to bring in the rich people to make money. So instead of you know, pimping out, excuse my language, no, the athletes and celebrities, Literally, I was going to allow them to get paid and then bring them to events and parties and other places so that the brands, and because I had the relationships with the executives, you know, I'd say, hey, CEO of Procter & Gamble, would you like to go meet Troy Aikman? Yeah. Come with me to a party in the VIP section. And then it evolved into, you know, sponsorship and media and hospitality. And then over the last three years at Sports One, uh, as Warren got older and kind of semi-retired, I started realizing I better build my own brand. Yeah. And I got a, what you guys call woke, uh, this famous guy called Stay Gary woke. Vayner. Yeah, <laughs> Gary, Gary Vaynerchuk is like, dude, I, I love you know, what you do. And I was helping them with their sports agency. He said, you ever think about doing videos on Instagram? And I was like, why would I do that? You know, like, are you kidding? Do you know, like, I'm old, man. Yeah. He goes, no, seriously, I could help you if you help me. And we came up with this great friendship. And there's nobody better at, you know, in my opinion, at capturing, amplifying, and perpetuating content than Gary. And he's proven it by making me famous. Uh, you know, I literally will go places and more people want to talk to me, take pictures with me, and have signatures signed than Warren, right? That's it's, crazy. Like, even, this is my best story. Rose Bowl two years ago. Yeah. Well, who is it? It's Washington versus Ohio State. Ohio Haskins, State. Yeah. So we're there and Warren so attacked. Obviously, I mean, he's the most famous Husky ever. MVP yeah. of the Rose Bowl. We both sit on the board of the Rose Bowl Legacy Committee, yeah. right? We're, we're highly. So everybody wants to talk to Warren Moon. Except for this one guy, he's like coming up kind of aggressively, kind of step in between, you know, to be that agent type of guy. Yeah. And literally the guy grabs my arm. He's like, Dave Meltzer, man. And Warren's cracking up. Warren, Warren's joking around. He pushes the guy away. Oh, Mr. Meltzer's busy. I'm like, no, no, I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> I have time for one photo, one autograph. Yeah. So that that's the basis of the business. I call it a bug light business. Yeah. Uh, and now, you know, I really focus more on my personal brand. I'm more the co-founder with Warren of yeah. Sports One Marketing and I focus on really building quality content. You know, I speak around the world, I write books, I have a great podcast called The Playbook. That you do. Uh, the Elevator Pitch Show is doing really well, which mm -hmm. is to teach kids how to raise money. And I repeat this all the time, you guys want the best skill in the world, learn to raise money, either for charity or for corporations. Mm -hmm. If you guys know how to raise money, you'll never starve. <laughs> That's <laughs> it's the best point. skill in the world. Yeah, that's a that's a good piece of advice right there. I'll take that. I mean, we're not bad at raising money. We've done a decent job. We yeah, do our, our, Mar yeah. our March Madness. Because you got a Padre fan. I know, right? Yeah. People <laughs> feel sorry the for first, him. Yeah, it's the first guy you can really sit here and commiserate with. Sympathy donation. <laughs> <laughs> How do you get into the sports world to begin with? Yeah, great. that's a great question because yeah. I'm actually speaking tonight in careers in sports. I Amazing. have a uh, Bruce Tolner from Rep One, and I have a course that we're okay. putting out how to get a job in sports because I get this question a lot. Yeah, I believe there's three ways, three things to focus in on if you want to get a job in any industry, any industry that you're passionate about. One, develop the skills to be the best at what you do. 
Two, gain the knowledge of what you truly want to do within that industry. And then have a burning desire to be what you must be. So when you, I, I had all three of those, right? I had a tremendous amount of skill from working, going to law school, you know, working in technology, raising money, selling, being in that business of negotiation yeah. and sponsorship and all these different things, hiring athletes, learning and learning, and then incredible communication skills, all these things. So when I met Lee Steinberg, right, people would say it was luck. When I met him, uh, our, our boy Morad, who owned the Padres, yep. had just left to go buy into the Diamondbacks. You know, they had sold for about 90 million to Asante, the baseball practice. And I came in to take Jeff's job. Yeah. But I didn't know that. I came in to help a friend with a, a Magic Johnson reality show called Showtime because he, the guy who asked me to represent him, thought that I was the best negotiator that he ever met, even though I wasn't really a real lawyer. Right at the time, I literally was an angel investor. Yeah, I'd come off being CEO of Samsung's first smartphone. Samsung, yeah, sorry, the PC, the PC. Yeah, <laughs> we work with Sprint, but the there PC, we go. It's Same. called the PC phone, We're the Windows the device. But the interesting thing was, I wasn't looking for a job, but Lee recognized skill, yeah, knowledge, and then obviously, like you three, I had a passion. Like the minute you get in Lee Steinberg's office, yeah, like right. you guys, oh, I got Tony Gwynn's bad, you know. Yeah, yeah, he's <laughs> so he's geeking out, yeah. and he also knew I, I had a burning desire to be, but I wasn't looking for a job. Never did I, when I met him the first time, go, oh my god, I dream of working with you. I wasn't that big eyed, but I was just telling him how passionate about the business of sports I was as a customer, yeah, and the knowledge that I had, the skills I had acquired. In the process of this, he invited me back up the next day and said, "Look, I have a." 2,500 resumes for people to be my new COO. Jeff Moretta just left. And I go, oh, really? I didn't know anything about it. And he goes, would you be interested in the job? And I literally almost pissed myself. I was like, <laughs> like you know, like a you one, yeah. I call it a touch of favor. Yeah. And, and people sometimes don't recognize it. I was old enough to recognize that was my touch of favor. I'm sitting there going, did this just happen? Like, did yeah. Lee Steinberg just offer me a job to work. I, I was so silly that I, I'm a pretty good negotiator, sure. qu quantifiably in value, like quantity of money and understanding how everything is not subjective. I don't buy on emotion for logical reasons. I am a shrewd quantitative businessman. I lost my shit. I was like, forgot to ask how much the job paid, how many hours it worked, like yeah. if I had an office or I had a sleep <laughs> sleeping just bag. Just said yes, I'm in. Yeah, just yeah uh, pretty they, much. All right, just point me in the right and, direction. I'll sit he, wherever. And I'm sitting with the greatest negotiator of all time, yeah. which I've watched and proven. So he must have been sitting there like this. <laughs> Oh, this kid's gonna work for free. Yeah, <laughs> this guy's gonna work for free forever, dude. Yeah, right. he'll pay me to work. Which now you see all these idiots that are with me right here. They make nothing. Nice. Guy. <laughs> I don't know about I that. That, that suit thing. over there is pretty smart and he's, nice fitting. He's from Beverly Hills. He lives on. Oh, okay. Doctor yeah, Dad. That's true. Doctor Dad that, from Beverly Hills. That's fair. In that case. Entitlement. He Can't was even born defend on himself. He's born on third base and thought he hit a home run. Oh wow! It's, it's the kind of kid I was jealous of. When I was like, when he went to Michigan, so let's keep piling on. Oh, good. Oh. I, I swear, I hate. I hate no loans either. He has no. Loans, I guarantee it. I, His dad paid the whole thing. That's fair, man. <laughs> nice way to go. I, I wish I could. I'm from Long Island, so I'm really, right not, on. one, I'm really not one to talk either, <laughs> to be honest. You're, my dad's a doctor, too. Damn yeah, it. My, yeah, my dad sells weed in New Jersey. I, Legally, I, though. Nice. Yeah, yeah, the, uh, <laughs> here's, here's all I have to say to all you rich kids out there I feel sorry for you. I grew up with nothing. And I got the advantage. I got the heads up. It's you know what? I I, I wasn't like I'm not gonna say I was like, you know, Warren Buffett out here, like but Jake. Yeah, but exactly like this guy. <laughs> Jake. But you know what? It took it, it. I was definitely when I first moved out here. 
it took me a second to be like, you know, what living on your own and like this and that. And I kind of threw myself into like the slum of things, like sharing a room with like nothing. Oh, nice. So I really, I'm like, all right, I'm going to start from the ground. That's the slum of things. I, I, had I know. Yeah. Six kids in a two bedroom apartment Jesus, in Akron, Ohio. Yeah, yeah. This guy's living in this gorgeous house with like two roommates. Now, I'm now, now. Yeah. Now, now, two years later, this my is where we're at. I packed my dinner in a paper bag that's and then crazy. drove to her second job in a station wagon. That's slumming it. Well, how do you, so how do you come from that then? Like what was like the drive? and like the passion to money, get from man. there. I, I'm a money-driven person. My perspective of money had changed. And you're cool with that? Like, yeah. Because so some people are like, for, Because you know. of the, why I want money. When I was young, yeah. I, I learned from it, mm -hmm. but I was driven for one reason. I Only time I wasn't happy, I had these killer siblings, Harvard, Penn, Columbia, super nice people. I was the low end of the gene pool. When, and I'd say that. Oh, Toss is the same way his sister went to Harvard. Yeah. He was, he was the bad egg <laughs> as well. And they don't but even say Harvard, you right? You tease a public guy, you know, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, they don't even say Harvard, right? They, like, put it in your face going, I go to school in Boston. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, that means you went to Harvard. I, I have to say it. she went to Harvard. Yeah, that She sucks. won't say it herself. Yeah, I never. Like, no, 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 no. She goes to Harvard. And then they turn around They turn around and they all rejected the school I wanted to go to that I got rejected from, which was Stanford. So, like, yeah, second choice, you know. Jesus. I got into my first choice, Harvard, Penn, and Columbia. I don't want to go to Stanford. I'm like, I don't want to go to Stanford. So <laughs> now I, I teach at Stanford, right? And it's like, yeah, you guys pay me to be here? Are you kidding me? That's amazing. <laughs> no, but um, growing up poor was all about, I was happy, but the only time I wasn't is my mom, you know, a financial crisis, like the car breaking down or something. She wouldn't ask for help, and she would literally break down crying out of stress. You know, and in my five year old, seven year old mind, I'm like, my mom is so unbelievable. Like she's ridden with you know her, her martial art third degree expertise is Jewish guilt. I was like laden, like I just wanna make my mom happy. Yeah. And I was driven like I'm gonna buy my mom a house in a car and I'm gonna be her favorite. And everything to me was a trade. It wasn't unconditional giving. Yeah. But I was about giving, but in the wrong way. And so my whole life I define myself by how much money I made, which yeah. is why I probably made a million dollars nine months out of law school. Every, I mean, I was so laser focused about making money. I invested in myself to just make that money and continued all the way through into my 30s. Uh, and even with Lee Steinberg, right? It was all about making enough money uh, and identifying that I had a superiority because I had an inferiority complex, right? You still kind of feel it when I'm making fun of Jake. Yeah, yeah, sure. I, it totally. is. I, I know my quantum. Like I'm very competitive because I spent years looking at people who I thought they thought they were better than me with that joke about being you're born on third base and hitting a home run. So I just had a chip on my way. shoulder, yeah. man. I had a chip on my shoulder that I'm going to prove to you that I grew up with nothing and man, I'm better than you. That's changed. Like now for me, I lost everything yeah, you know, right. 13 years ago and now it's about I'm going to make so much goddamn money like Jeff Bezos so I can allow it to come through me with appreciation and have a significant impact on the world. Okay. So you now you've made you come back, you yeah. lose everything, you get there, you lose it and you come back. When in the comeback, do you regret the way you first went about things or is it like, hey, you know, I've learned from this in a sense and now I could utilize this myself? Because I'm sure when you lose everything, you go, everything turns around and goes, oh my God, why did I do this? Why did I do that? This was so dumb of me. And you regret every decision you made up until that point. That's so beautiful because I think the two biggest lessons that I've learned uh, from losing everything is one, that when you look backwards, yeah. it causes a need to be offended or regretful or anxious about that. So you instead ask yourself, what did I do? Take full accountability with gratitude, with a positive perspective to take gratitude and forgiveness to say, what did I do to attract this to myself? And what am I supposed to learn from it? Okay. And then you get excited about that lesson about, because the truth is, yes, 
I made huge mistakes. I was an ego-driven person. Yeah. I, and, and I learned that about myself. And then I also learned, don't look so far forward as well because that causes anxiety. So what I learned is to be present. I learned to live with gratitude. I have this lens of productivity, accessibility, and gratitude that I live by. How much value am I gonna provide everywhere I go? How accessible am I to people? Which you can see by the overlap of my schedule. Yeah. And how am I Got accessing it. what I want so it can come through me to give to everybody? I, I drive a Chevy Volt now, right? I did a killer video last night. I got honored at that Social Media Awards as the Social Media Influencer Impact Award. I had the most impact for social media, which I really appreciated. But more importantly, one of my mentees, Dan Fleischman, won the Social Media Influencer Award. And I felt more proud to have elevated him and taught him than my own award. Yeah, totally. I sat, they had the after party up in the Hollywood Hills. There was Rolls Royces, Lamborghini, like the typical house, you know, mm. it, all vanishing walls overlooking, you know, the entire valley. Yeah. And I just walked outside and everybody thought I was going to do, you know, the typical social influencer video. And I held up my camera. I'm like, you see these cars? You see these cars? I don't own any of them. <laughs> I drive a boat. <laughs> you see this house? I don't own it. And anybody that's telling you that you should own these or that's how you're going to get rich is full of shit. This is how you get rich. Work hard. Work smart. Work patiently. And be honest, yeah. right? And that was the difference of the lessons that I learned. I wasn't an overseller, backend seller, manipulator, liar, and cheater anymore because I wasn't money-driven. I didn't believe in scarcity anymore. I truly believe there's enough of everything for everyone. Yeah, and I mean, you had people, and it's not like, you know, you lose everything and it's just you. You have a family. Yeah, yeah. so what's it like, the feeling like, I'm just a curi curious about a couple feelings. Yeah. One feeling is, what's it like to kind of turn to them and go, okay, we don't have this anymore. And if I may ask, yeah. it's too personal. Please. No, no, no yeah. I'm, a, I'm open book. Go, cool. go, cool. I figured. Yeah. And what's it like, we don't have this anymore, so what's it like in, to kind of say, okay, we have to turn this around and approach them and be honest with them and maybe for the first time in a long time, be honest and, you know, and show some true colors and kind of fix things around. Yeah. My dad gave me a jacket that he had me hang in the closet. I wasn't very close to my dad. He left me in the five-year-old you know, stage of my hero leaving and marries a girl in the 70s closer to my age than his and doesn't give child support because you didn't have to really in the 70s. There wasn't a deadbeat dad law or whatever. Yes. And you know, he gives me at 30 this jacket with no pockets and tells me, I want you to hang it in there because I'm scared you're just like me. He said, you're scared that you think that money buys happiness, that you're going to end up being the richest man in the cemetery. Don't make the same mistakes as me, Dave. I gave you this jacket to hang there to remind yourself that you can't take anything with you when you're gone. And I got mad at him. I'm like, I'm nothing like you, man. You're a liar, cheater, manipulator, overseller, and back-end seller. So for me to set the stage, that was where it hit me. I, I, my wife woke me, right, and said, I'm leaving. You're an asshole. And I said well, you know, what can I do? And she said, you got to take stock in who you were and what you want to become or I'm going. I'm not happy. And in my mind, I was pissed. I'm like, how can you not be happy? You have, we have I everything we want. We have, we have the Rolls Royce. We have the yeah, house. I we have everything. everything. Yeah. Like, I have everything. What, how could you not be happy? Then I woke up the next morning thinking about what divorce lawyer I was going to get to take all my money. I had three daughters at the time. And then I looked at that goddamn jacket and it, I still choke up because I looked at him like, I'm just like my dad. Right? I'm a manipulator, a liar, a cheater, yeah. overseller, backend seller. So I had to, two years before I lost everything, start admitting to my wife that she was right. And so I started changing my life at that time. The harder part, though, when you're saying, what's it like? I had to go tell my mom when I went bankrupt two years later, 
that I was bankrupt, number one, which to me was the most humbling experience to tell my mom, who told me doctor, lawyer, failure, that my other five brothers you know, and my sister were incredibly successful in a conservative way. Right. Yeah. Rabbi, doctor, and you like, have like, a rabbi in the family. Oh yeah, Harvard. Oh, Harvard boy. Man. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's great. Yeah. Got into Harvard Med School and turned it down to be a rabbi, and then has a PhD in social ethics, and even worked for Clinton. He's an amazing scholar. But I'm sitting there going, "Jeez." Well, as I'm thinking about it, I'm like, "Oh no! Not only did I lose everything, but I never took my mom's house out of my name. I lost her house." Ah oh, shit. Yeah. Exactly. So imagine. Like what that feels like to the only reason you wanted to be rich. And here I had gone through a process of taking stock in who I was. And I realized, man, I just want to be rich for other people. That's really what I, and I, I took root in like gratitude and forgiveness and accountability and inspiration. And I was going to be that Rudy guy again, the guy that must be what he can be. Mm-hmm. And now I got to go tell my mom, not only did I lose everything, but she's moving. And she showed me unconditional love without blinking. She said, are you okay? Can I give you money? like was so supportive it actually was an uplifting educational enlightening experience that changed my life that my mom for all those years that i thought she was an idiot right because she wasn't rich yeah like that i was resentful because i was poor i sat there going man she's a way better person than me right just and i still i'm a mama's boy sorry guys. no you're no, good no, no we like I love our moms too and there's yeah. times where i'm like oh you have no idea like you have no idea what you're talking about i'm gonna do this i'm gonna do that and like two weeks later i'm like fuck yeah i so should have listened and yeah. they, just, yeah. they just there's like a feeling and my wife too yeah and there's a feeling and i'm sure like you kind of maybe it re- resonates in you as like a parent in that situation when you kind of go and you look like i don't have kids but i'm an older brother to two younger sisters yeah. you know and there's times where you know i know that they're looking to me or they're looking up to you and you have to have that there's an innate feeling uh in your body and you know you just have that feeling of caring and even if you don't know what's going to happen or the right decision that needs to be made economically or business decision there's that you know fight or flight instinct because you care about that person so much so even if your mom's poor doesn't know business-wise what to do economically yeah it's just that fight or flight instinct because you're a baby yeah you kind of got to take care of it you know show up to the nest exactly do damage which then i had to turn around to be that parent right yeah so now i gotta go my wife knows that we lost everything but now we're moving they took everything so i have a rented house rented furniture one car my wife we have three daughters under 10 and a baby on the way right my baby boy's on the way and you know that to me like what like she was cool about it in fact she was so cool i brought my check home i was working for lee steinberg so i was still making money yeah i I just was way over my skis right we're talking about over a hundred million dollars in assets you know just way over my skis in 2008 and things got out of control because i couldn't borrow money everything nosedives yeah everything nosedives and my wife who's just an extraordinary person uh you know i came home and i said hey i'm gonna write this we went to the same high school in San Diego, Patrick Henry High. And uh, I said, I'm gonna write this check for a scholarship. You know, Warren has a fund called the Crescent Moon Foundation. Yeah. I'm gonna donate the money for a kid from Patrick Henry to get a scholarship to college because I never would have gone to college but for someone giving me a scholarship, right? Right, yeah, totally. And my wife, without blinking, is like, oh my God, she started crying. She's like, you finally get it. Like, it, it actually, that moment to her was like, oh my God, I married the guy I thought that I married. She goes, absolutely. She said, you trust the universe. I go, I trust it. I really do. I'm so excited about what's going to happen next. And she goes, then double it. And I looked at her. Yeah, I'm like, nah, I don't trust the universe that much. But I'm working on it, honey. But she, those two extraordinary moments in my life, which were really challenging ego-wise to to swallow. Yeah. 
you know, beyond having to tell Lee Steinberg, like, you guys know sports, so, and then this is a sports show. <laughs> Remember why I was hired, right? I was Midas, right? I had run big companies. So the athletes, when he was recruiting them, he could say, look, these are the type of people that take care of your money. Well, now I you, lost, you've that lost brand. all your money. Yeah. The guy that's <laughs> like, a, the worst thing you could do, right? It's like, yeah, but your CEO went bankrupt. How are you going to, he can't even take care of his money. But Lee and Warren were like super cool about it. Um, and it actually helped because I could literally identify when I was in the living rooms now as the CEO, what it's like to have no money. And even on the internet, right? Mm -hmm. Like I think one of the things that grew popularity of my brand was my ability to illuminate that I screwed things up and here's the lessons I learned and people like me more. And it's just such a counterintuitive thing because I was so afraid to tell people the truth in my past. I wanted everyone to love me. I wanted everyone to be impressed by me. I wanted everyone to feel as if I was successful. Now I just want people to like me for who I am. You can hate me for who I am, but I want you to like me for who I am, not for who I'm not. Yeah, totally. I mean, it does, and it kind of does bother you out. It gives you more credibility. I know it's, it's I'm sure it stings in the first place. <laughs> yeah. You have to look at yourself and go like, oh, you know, this was Still a disaster. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. I, la I actually am better at laughing at it going, some of the stuff, like I'm the only one that knows everything I did, <laughs> right? That's, that's and, true. Right? Yeah, yeah. And I look in the mirror. Like last night, yeah. I was out partying with Mike Stud, right? Two in the morning at the studio, and yeah. I love that guy. But like, there's so many flashback moments because I am much more in control. Yeah. But I was drinking a little Jaeger, playing Jaeger pong, and uh, my own invention. And I lost by one quick shot. Is it just I'm, beer pong with Jaeger? Yeah, 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 pretty much. Yeah. I will. I would not partake. I don't think I could. I do it. I think I'll maybe volunteer. like four uh, years ago, I'm hanging like I'm doing it. I'm, sh I'm shooting that back right now. I don't know if I could hang. I'm, I'm toast after a game. Probably. Dude, my life is so extraordinary. Right? I'm still up and taking care of my health. And, you know, I had the founder of, of uh, MTV and VH1 earlier this morning in a meeting and mm. network advisors, you know, been on interviews this has been a great morning but i remember like looking in my head last night going oh god if these kids only knew what i would be doing right now <laughs> yeah <I> was, <laughs> yeah exactly man yeah totally totally time totally. we've all been down that road before we're just going just going yeah, just balancing everything you know once a year is doesn't hurt anybody oh yeah exactly i always say new year's eve is your time to just show out <laughs> and then at the end oh, of the amateur day, night oh yeah no, your you, color yeah exactly and then just kind of go go from there um but then, i think yeah. i think that just from a perspective piece, when you were at your at your lowest, what's really impressive to me is that you were willing to listen to the people that were giving you this love and affection. And a lot of people who are in that point don't actually do that, and they they continue to wall off. But you opened up, and I think that's what's really impressive to me, and allowed you to kind of change your own perspective to then grow from that and continue to like build the rest of your life as this as the same person but just someone who was owning who they actually were. Yeah. Which like, that's, that's really impressive to me. And I, yeah, I appreciate I, that. My, yeah. my uncle's the only one that ever had said that to me. Actually, he said, you know, he pulled me aside. He's like, man, I'm so proud of you. I was like, why? He goes, cause most guys would have folded, right? They would have yeah. spun off and blame, shame and justification. He goes, yeah. I, I hadn't seen many people in my life that just took accountability. And I will tell you a lot of it had to do with that jacket hanging in my closet. This whole weird relationship that I had with my father of not wanting to be him, of not liking him for who he was, and then realizing at that moment, man, I don't like myself. Yeah. Right? I'm just like my dad, and he's, he's not a bad guy. Like, he was trying to teach me when I was 30 years old, you know, six years ago, that that closet's still 
hanging there. I didn't throw the thing away. I, there's some subconscious or unconscious reason that I hung that thing up mm -hmm. where I could still see it every day. There's something in me that said, man, this is a lesson that you got to learn. And that lesson is going to keep on coming until you learn it. It's going to result in pain, mm -hmm. physical, mental, emotional, or spiritual pain until you learn it. And it just kept sitting there and sitting there. And there was things along the way where I was trying to make the change in my life. You know, my best friend I went golfing with. I'm like, hey, man, how come you don't hang out with me? I don't like who you hang out with. And I'm like, well, I'm not doing what those guys are doing. He's like, don't lie to me. He's like, you lying to, he's like, don't, you don't lie to yourself. You're lying to me. Don't lie to yourself. And I left crying. That was literally no, because he's, he's totally right. I mean, you he know, was it, yeah. I know, and I knew, and I knew. I think when I hung the jacket up, that my dad was totally right, mm -hmm. and it helped. Being, you know, I was that guy that I just, it, like I said, what did I do? You know, and it took still years after that. I still find things that I would blame other people for, you know, and I'm working on that every day to be completely free by being accountable. And people say, "Oh my God, you're so vulnerable." You know, you're 52 years old and you're crying on a sports show about your mommy. That makes me invulnerable. Like literally, what what are you gonna say to me if you know the truth about me, right? You're gonna define me by what I am. That's fine. Yeah. So, right. It's when you hide from it and you're living in a non-truth trajectory that you start doing things that you shouldn't do because you're afraid people are gonna know the truth. You become invulnerable when you tell people the truth, and you see it in sports, right? We trained our athletes, and I have to give credit to Lee Steinberg because he taught me. You know, if a guy gets arrested for a DUI, you don't go into blame, shame, and justification. You come out. And you immediately say, hey, I'm sorry to my family, friends, et cetera. I know better than to step behind the wheel with even a drip of alcohol in my system. Now, I haven't admitted to, to guilt, right? There's the lawyer part of it. Yeah, But right. I'm taking full accountability. Yeah. And it's just like the steroid things. The guys that took accountability, you never hear their names and they'll make the Hall of Fame. The guys that took accountability, it's the guys that came out, you know, with the back knee and humongous arms and, you know. And then continue to lie about it when we could all see it. I mean, it creates see. a bigger mess for them. You it, know? Don't it tell me you're 37 years old and cranking 73 home runs. Yeah, it just, please. It just doesn't. And playing left Look field. Look when McGuire came like out that. and was yeah. honest, that everybody respected McGuire. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it was just really nice. And it's just too bad. I mean, you know, I love the memes and stuff when you look at like, and I think he, just for the record, being a sports guy. You know, Bonds deserves and Clemens deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. And, and for two reasons. One, the MLB is not taking any accountability of their systematic acceptance of steroids. And two, these guys, before they started using, were, were still the best. They would have been in the Hall of Fame anyway. That's right? why I don't like them, to be honest with you. That's though. why. Yeah. But, he, but I love the memes. Like when you show like his rookie card compared to where, where Yeah, he he's huge, dude. That guy's like, a house. Like, I mean, common sense. Like there's so many things in life that are just a joke. It's like, if I was him, like, why not just be honest and play that? Look, every trainer of mine knew I was on them. The league knew the kids were on them. They don't know which one of us were on it, but it's very obvious I'm on them. Yeah. And I take full accountability, and I hope that my past performance will speak for itself. But please know there were circumstances and situations. Like I would have written this out for him as his agent, and he'd be in the Hall of Fame already. Yeah, I mean, I, I guarantee it. Sosa, dude, he went from looking like a French fry to a Dorito. <laughs> you know, what I'm, seriously, like he was, dude. He's like the widest. He's one of the widest dudes I've ever seen in sports. Like him and Jerome Bettis. It's pretty much those two. Oh my god, ridiculous. Yeah, would, did you have any guys when you were working at Steinberg Sports that were involved in that? If I may ask, I'm sure you know some of them. I'm mean, look down the roster. That yeah, it's been okay. Out there. So yeah, baseball, yeah. football, um, but it's a different era. I mean, you, when I played college football and I was an average division three college football player, where do you go again? Occidental, right here. Right, yeah. And we were good, but I, I will tell you that at least at least 12 of our best players, so that's 12 out of 22 starters, yeah. would go down to Tijuana and pick up Anavar or Dynaball. 
like Danibal, whatever, right? And meanwhile, I was so fortunate to weigh 147 pounds because what was steroids going to do for me? Nothing. <laughs> right? <laughs> exactly. I was quick and fast. Yeah. You, and it's not going to increase your quickness. Yeah, and right. I didn't need more weight. No. Right? I, so I stuck there, you know, right at the 147 mark so nobody could catch me. <laughs> wise, very wise. That, that, that is very wise. Um, and when your work is, I have curiosity as a sports fan. So when yeah. Lee Steinberg, you know, he goes, yeah, "Okay, you have the job right there." Does, it, does the level of nerve set in? Because now you're jumping. Because you've done like, you've gone from author to speaker. Now you have your own company, your own brand. You were working for Samsung. You've done yeah. like a multitude of different things. If as you jump to each new chapter of your life, yeah, the excitement, the level of excitement's there. there. There's a level of yeah, I can do this because this is who I am. And I know who I am. But is there also a level of nerves going, oh, my God, what the hell did I just get myself into? Out of any job I ever have taken, being CEO of Lee Steinberg was by far that feeling. Like, okay. And it was because it was so foreign to, to what I was. And Lee was so needy. Um, and I was forced into situations like, uh, you know, I had arranged fi Franklin Financial to buy the Rams way back then. And it was a $900 million deal. And then Lee ends up being arrested for public drunkenness and put into a rehab. And I'm sitting there by myself negotiating this deal, right? But I will tell you, even the big eyed side of it, it's one thing being a CEO of a big company or raising millions of dollars on the Silicon Valley and being in front of, you know, Steve Jobs or Bill Gates or these guys. But as sports guys, yeah, imagine your first day, you're in the Jerry Maguire offices, right? They film shit right there, right? You're Lee Steinberg's in the movie. Troy Aikman's in the movie. Yep. Warren Moon's in the movie. And your office is sitting between that corner Jerry Maguire office that looks over Catalina Island on Newport Center Drive. And right next to you, your very first day without Lee telling you, walks Warren Moon, the Hall of Fame quarterback, who I have emotional ties to because... He beat Michigan. I have this great story about the Rose Bowl and Warren Moon in 1978. This is the first football game that I was supposed to go to and didn't realize it because we were so poor. But we moved to, uh, from Ohio. Warren Moon was playing Michigan. Washington was playing Michigan in the Rose Bowl. Michigan was 16.5-point favorites. The quarterback wouldn't meet him at Disneyland yeah. right, as a quarterback. This is the stuff that's going on. Why tell my mom? I'm Ohio State fan, just coming from Ohio. Favorite team's Ohio State. Second favorite team is whoever plays Michigan. Yeah. So I want to go see Warren Moon upset Michigan. Yeah. And I immediately become this Warren Moon fan. So I tell my mom, can I go to the Rose Bowl? Can I go to the Rose Bowl? Please, please, please. So she's like, I'm going to take everybody. So we jump into now. We don't have a Country Squire station wagon anymore. We have this big old shitty van. Like, you know, the ones that the kids go to school in pretty much. And so all six of us, she takes us up. We have to wake up at four in the morning from San Diego to drive up to Pasadena. We get there. We're watching the parade, you know, and I'm bored. My, you know, wet dream siblings are like, oh, these floats are awesome. Look yeah. at Mickey. <laughs> oh. I'm like, one time's a game. Where we go? And I'm like, literally, things over. I'm like, all right, let's go to the game. And my mom's like, what do you mean? We can't afford to go to the game. I was like. No, I want to go to the Rose Bowl. She goes, I thought you meant the parade. You know, it's about a second grade teacher, mom, no sports acumen at all. Wouldn't let me play football at the time. Yeah. Right. Until literally I convinced her that just made her life miserable until I turned 10 to play. But so I get to listen to the Rose Bowl on the radio driving back and Warren Moon becomes my favorite player. So I think he's going to be drafted because he's the MVP of the Rose Bowl. And I'm a huge Warren Moon fan. Yeah. Like you. Yeah. Right. This right. huge. And then here goes Warren Moon walking by my office with no knowledge and sits down in the office next to me. And then within five minutes, turns around and comes in and introduces himself and said, hey, I'm Warren Moon. I've heard unbelievable things about you and sits down and tells me all this stuff. 
And that's where it was like, oh, my God. Like, I called my wife. I'm like, I can't believe they're paying me. This is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. You know, my wife's so straightforward. They better fucking pay you. She's not like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. like yeah. beat that out. But she's yeah. like, literally, like, I don't care. Warren Moon or Lee Steinberg. I want the cash. Yeah. <laughs> like, you already screwed this up. You better be making money. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. How do you meet your, how do you meet your wife? How do you meet, oh, get, get back to your story. wife? So my wife, kind of curiosity. when I moved to, to San Diego, yeah. literally, I think one of the first days I lived you know, I shared my room with two of my brothers. Yeah. I joke around. I lived on the windowsill, but it was like a bay window that they put a pad in because I didn't want to share my bed with my brother. Yeah. <laughs> but this girl skateboards by, and I think she's cute. I'm only nine. Yeah. And she lives down the street, so kind of monkey shy. Skateboarding, very Cali. <laughs> yeah. You, know, you really adapted well. <laughs> by, by, <laughs> by sixth grade camp, I'm having that best friend that told me I'm hanging out with the wrong guys. Yeah. I have him asking her at sixth grade camp to go steady. She says... No way, tell him to ask me himself and embarrasses me. So I throw an egg at her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As you would. Then Smooth. I, yeah. yeah. Then I called her ugly. <laughs> and meanwhile, her, her cousin was my best friend. I tried to date her in junior high school, not a chance. Tried to date her in high school, not even close to a chance. I'm in law school. I'm in, engaged. And I got engaged for money, by the way. Last night was the first time I ever like even came to it in my mind that I was so money driven that, you know. So you I, were engaged to someone else before. Before her. Wow. Because she was super rich. North New Jersey girl, you know, Bergen County, oh, Fairline, yeah, like yeah, yeah. Jet and 52 rooms in her home. And Dangerous. like, I can admit it at 52. I hope I'm not hurting her feelings. I think I was heavily motivated because she was rich. And anyway, I, I bump into her and her mom is dying. And this is, you know, in my summer going into to, out of law school and tell her I'm engaged, what I'm doing. I got this great job with this technology company and she's so hot right i'm like instantly back to the fourth grade going oh my god this is my dream girl yeah and you know i let it go she ends up to the hospital to see her mom and said hey you know i ran into last night she said who should dave Meltzer?" she goes isn't that that shit that threw the egg at you <laughs> and, and then she describes what i'm doing this is her mom's last words on me you you need to date him and she said oh i can he's engaged she goes then you need to find someone like this boy and so I end up going, graduating law school, working my job, moving to Miami with my fiance, and she ends up cheating on me. I end up breaking up. I end up coming out to California. And six weeks after that, I'm in Mexico of all places, right? In Mexico at the Rosarita Resort Hotel, and somebody pushes me in a crowded, drunken room right into her. And so I look at her and I'm like, whoa. I'm like, Julie Penn, how are you? She goes, Dave Meltzer? I was like, yeah. I have a bone to pick with you. You're the reason I was insecure when I was little. You were so mean to me. <laughs> like all this stuff. It's like, you even called me ugly. I'm like, well, you're not ugly now. Can I buy you a drink? And literally. <laughs> nice, dude. That's wow. a quick, smooth, man. Oh, I tried to screw this up so many times. I could go through dumb stories. Like wow. the first date was at the beach thing. So she brought a change of clothes in case we were going to dinner after beach lunch. Like I sent a car to pick her up. And she, I said to her first date, oh, I didn't know you were spending the night. She told me she almost turned around. <laughs> <laughs> turned around. I am Mr. Non-Smooth. I don't know how she married me. Um, but so literally, I married my dream girl from the fourth grade. And she, yeah. I'm 52. I've been married 23 years. Oh, and I will tell you, she is my savior, my dream girl. I'm more attracted. She's a beautiful inside and out person. Um, and I say that to young people because not everybody's out there talking about marriage anymore. But if you find the right person, my wife is not perfect. right? But she's perfect for me. And I think that's important for all of the young people in here. Like, just find the person that you can communicate and grow with. That's perfect for you. And it's the, 
it will make an exponential difference out of anything else you can do in your life is to have one job that you love to do, one partner in your life that you love, and a good bed. Yeah. Good so bed. <laughs> I have a question about that because you're involved in so many different things, right? Yeah. And, and so are we as as actors and podcasters and writers and producers of all these different things. A you're lot a of stripper times, too, right? Yeah, that too. I mean, I didn't want to say <laughs> I it. Was but a, I was yes. a stripper for one day. <laughs> nice for charity. I hope. I mean, it pays. It pays well. Right? It's a weird it's night in college. I'm a money guy. Right? I get it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what but, was his name? <laughs> but I I think that a lot of times, like you know, guys like our age are seeking out advice from guys that are your age. Yeah. A lot of times, what what the, what we get back in return is you're spreading yourself too thin. Mm. So if you could just talk on that a little bit and, and how you manage that. And I know like you guys are lucky to have him. He has all the good questions. Have you noticed? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just I'm just here for looks, man. <laughs> no, no, you got a good voice. You can talk real fast. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm Padre fan over here. It's like he's yeah. silent Bob looks. I just wear the, the Padre hands and I just drive. I just drive the truck, dude. I have the easy gig right here. <laughs> so look, time is essential and I teach yeah. time. I'm a student in my calendar. I have literally still today so much attention and intention on time because it will change your life. So remember this formula, what you pay attention to and give intention to equals the coincidences that you have. There's no work in life. There's just activity you get paid for, activity you don't get paid for. There's a lens in which you look at what you're doing, productivity, accessibility, and gratitude. Productivity is you're looking at things by how much value you can provide, making room for what you want. The lens of accessibility says, how accessible am I to others, my family? my friends, yeah. these pot, like how accessible am I to teach and to learn? And how am I also accessing what I want, receiving? And then finally, the lens of gratitude, which forces you to learn to love everything you're doing, forces you to find the light, the love, and the lessons in everything you're doing, even bankruptcy, right? And these lenses to me, now, I'm a math person, so I create rules of time for me to do everything that I wanna do. I know that doing something two minutes a day is worth more than two hours on a Saturday. So the basis of how you can take on more than anyone else without being overwhelmed is to understand that philosophy. So for me, minimum of an hour a day on my health, right? Every day, seven days a week on my health. Minimum of 30 minutes a day with my wife. Minimum of 30 minutes a day with my nine-year-old son. Minimum of two minutes a day with my three teenage daughters. I asked for five, they gave me two. But Fair. every day, the minute you miss a day, you give it a zeroing effect. It's like X to the zero power, that equals one. You're back to the beginning. And okay. then finally, and this is, I know you guys are mama boy like me, so I'm gonna give you great advice to change your relationship with your mom today. And I just literally got a text from someone thanking me for this advice because it changed their life. Literally someone I work with a lot and they're like, the best piece of advice you ever gave is this one. I spend a minimum of one minute a day telling my mom four things every day of my life. And I put it on almost every interview. Number one, I'm happy. You know, as a parent, the one thing that you want your kid to be is happy. So to reaffirm that to them already will elevate their day. Two, I'm healthy. Their biggest fear is that you won't be here. So if you remind them, hey, mom, I am so happy. I am so healthy. Three, I appreciate you. Mm -hmm. Because without you, I wouldn't be happy or healthy. And I appreciate you. And finally, four, I love you. If you communicate those four things via text, email, in person, or on the phone every single day, and I call it a minimum of one minute a day, your moms will not do things to make you prove that you love them. Your moms will go through and exponentially be more happy, healthy, appreciative, and loving because they're so secure in the fact that they did their job. The ultimate job encompasses those four things. I promise you, give it a minimum amount of time. So as you see my life and you're like, how the heck does he do all of that? 
It's because time. I am a student of time. I have a 520 rule, right? I keep all my phone calls as an objective to five minutes because I think after five minutes, we're just visiting. And if I want to visit with you, I'll schedule time to visit, right? All meetings are 20 minutes because after 20 minutes, we're just visiting. So I'm very clear on my objectives. Usually you have quantitative objectives, a quantitative value, which is usually profit. I'm very profit oriented with my time. And then if it's not a profit or an activity I'm going to get paid for, then I go ahead and assess the situation by my personal values, experiential values, giving and receiving values like this interview. How much time am I going to give for this? Yeah. Right. And so I literally went through looking at you guys going, okay, these are my personal values of where I want to impact people. These are kids that can impact people for a lifetime. If I can even just plant a seed under a tree that I'll never ever sit under here today by giving you one little drop of a bomb that you might go, hey, I am going to call my mom. I've done my job and it's worth the hour that I gave you for this interview. And then there's others that just are more informative and I might give them 10 minutes or 20 minutes for an interview. But everything to me is that equation of, of time, including faith. If you pull fa time out of something, you'll know what your faith says. I think that's, no, that's a great breakdown of, of not of doing a lot and doing it smartly. Being active, yeah. Yeah, especially because, I mean, just whether we like it or not, humans are creatures of habit. Mm. And if we do something over and over and over again, then that schedule becomes a lot more easier to manage, or at least the anxiety that comes along with having to manage an overflowing schedule gets diminished. So I think that's, yeah. You're expanding your comfort zone. It's sure. so simple, and that's why sleep's so important to me. Mm -hmm. uh, although I didn't get enough last night. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, yeah, but I, got, yeah. I, I don't need as much, but I have a sleep coach. Sleep's the number one habit we all share. It's the most amount of time that you're going to spend on any habit your entire life, and most people don't pay any attention to sleep. Totally. I study it every day. I have a sleep coach. I literally study it every day. Even last night, unfortunately for me, I didn't get a chance because I got unstable data. You know, I was told, hey, Mike Studd has to go to the studio at 1030, so we're not going to do the whole Jaeger ping pong thing <laughs> like you want. And so I made my plan differently. So then I automatically have put in an adaptable plan. So I have two different routines. Normal routine, which I had yesterday until I found the bad news out that we were have to party. So yeah, then I went to that, a, twist went, my arm. Then I went to adaptable routine that says this the minimum amount of time. So it's not by being a student in my calendar. My adaptable routine says, okay, number one, make sure you get an hour on your health. Two, make sure you make these calls today. Make sure you get the 30 minutes, the 30 minutes, the two, the two, right? Yeah. And then be a student of your calendar, which means study what you are going to do today. Study the white space in your calendar. That means pay attention and intention and create the coincidences you want. And then study your sleep for tonight because that's going to be critical that I am passed out by 11 o'clock tonight so that I can wake up at four o'clock tomorrow to get right 20 minutes of uh, meditation and right into the gym, which is my routine. So I use adaptable routines to stay on schedule, to have the enjoyment of the consistent, persistent pursuit of my potential. Enjoy the consistent every day, persistent without quit, pursuit of your potential. You'll get there way faster. Mic drop. Mic drop on that, that one. I think, yeah, man, I think I've, the insight's great. I mean, you, I, teachers are like that across the board. I mean, they, you know, I, I spoke to my teacher. We had teachers in college every day. We had the same, I had the same teacher in college every day for four years. That's awesome. Yeah. So he, I, I saw him every day for four years and every day he's telling us something new and, you know, he's regurgitating sometimes. And I asked him, I was like, do you ever get, you know, tired of, you know, just talking to us and throwing stuff at us and just talking to the same 15 kids, half us are high, the other half are hung over. Like sometimes I know it's an acting school, but like still, like, come on, man. Like and he's, he's like, listen, what have you learned from me? Just give me one thing. 
And he gave him one thing. He goes, okay, cool. It's better than nothing. Yeah. Give you like one. If you could take one little thing, then someone else took something else. And so I've given like 15 different things and you guys can spread that and keep going. I mean, yeah. that goes the same way for like coaches too. Like, you know, growing up as like a Texas football player, like, you know, every single coach had something different to teach us. And every single one of those guys, I have something that I learned from them. Yeah. And I keep it with me every day still. It's so good that you guys know that because like I stick to four things. People come in and they think they're going to be sports agents or marketers or journalists or PR or media people. And I say, look, just learn these four things. And I talk about it every Monday and every Friday and every place in between. Yeah. Gratitude, forgiveness, accountability, and inspiration. So that inspiration is enjoying the consistent, persistent pursuit of your potential, having that perspective. But if I'm on this interview and you guys want to go back and say there's a lot of bombs in there, wisdom or you know, dummy tax, I call it, the four that, that will change your life is if I can drop those seeds to everybody out there. Please. Just be grateful. Practice being grateful. Practice being forgiving. Forgive yourself, then you can give it to others. Practice being accountable and practice being inspired. It's, it is a practice. It's not a personality trait. It's a practice. Yeah. That's beautiful, man. Beautiful <laughs> stuff. And I think we'll leave everybody on that note rather than beat a dead horse. Um, where can we find you? Where can they find you? We know where to find you. Where can they find you? You actually have your phone number out there, yeah. which is wild, by I the know. Way. So text me what impacted you the most. I'm trying to get keyed into when I do these interviews or yeah. when I speak. You know, I got two speeches tonight with kids, careers in sports, and one at USC for the SBA. Awesome. I want to know what really... I, it's not what I say, it's what you hear. Yeah. So if they can uh, text me at 949-298-2905, 949-298-2905, that's the most helpful. But if not, I'm David Meltzer, at David Meltzer, Google David Meltzer, YouTube David Meltzer. My website is D Meltzer, though, shorter, yeah. initial and name. So any of those places, I be patient, I respond myself, so it takes me a little bit longer than most people that have you know, response by committee, but at least you're getting my wisdom and my care. Um, and so please, you know, just be patient if you're reaching out. I will get back to you. There's nothing more vulnerable than giving out your cell phone to the entire world. Yeah, you want to talk about vulnerable? Vul- I want to learn, man. That's it, man. I want to learn. Hey, I always say if everyone gave me the two cents, I'd have like hundred millions of dollars. There you go. That's this you is go. a sports show. Actually, so more than that. We'll, yeah. we'll close it out with one last question. So nice. what's your favorite sports memory? Ask everybody. As a player or even as a fan? Wow. That's the first time anyone's ever said that. You know, the Miami game against the Chargers, San Diego Chargers, when it went back and forth and they carried Kellen Winslow off the field and they made that final field goal. Yeah, like four touchdowns that game, right? Yeah, but they they missed those field goals and they went to overtime. That, to me, I just love that sports moment because – I was at the right age, so impressionable, huge Dan Fouts in San Diego Charger, John Jefferson, Charlie Joyner, all those guys. And to me, it was like, we're going to win the Super Bowl, right? I felt like a New England fan, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, fell, you, fell, you thought you were there. You were exactly. close, man. I you thought were it close. was destiny. You were a good guy. But I'm still waiting. And I, and I won't go to a Super Bowl. Just so you know, I get tickets every year. You won't go Don't to call me and hit me up for them because they're worth tons of money. It's like giving you 10 grand. I'm not yeah, giving you my on, tickets. Stupid. But people will. Even my brothers. I'm like, sorry, man. Yeah. Uh, but if the Chargers go, then I'll go to the game. And wow. I'll take my family. Remember, they were close two years ago, or it's semi close. Semi close. I'm like, yeah. shit, it's going to cost me 100 grand. 100 grand. It'll be oh, so yeah. worth it, though. Oh, my I'm God. like a Cubs fan. I'm just waiting. Like, I, it was two years ago. I had, I mean, I was like, two years ago, I had like, no, really no money to my name. And I, we were, the, the Sox were playing the Dodgers in the World Series. 
and I go, all right, all my money I have is going to game five of the World Series. I know we're winning five. And I was there. Yeah, so was I. And mm. that's, we, I'll never like that. That may be one of the best teams ever in baseball, by the way. Unbelievable. It's underrated, but Top they won er- preseason, season, and postseason. They did everything. There's no weak spots there. That, it's, my yeah. favorite, it's my favorite team. It's awesome. my favorite team I've ever seen. You, you had to go. Yeah, it was no, it was no brainer. Smart. Thank you, man. And guys, <laughs> Text David, call David, follow him on Instagram, check out his YouTube, check out any of his three books, you know, great stuff over there. And to the fans, oh, David, thank you for joining us, by thank the way. Thank you. Of course, man, it's been a pleasure. And to the fans out there, drag both feet inbound, swing on a full count, rip that puck, hit that putt, hit your PKs because they're free, and hit your free throws. Why, guys? Because they're free? Because they're free. We out you. We love you. Puts it up. It's Lord. He got the shot off. Derek Jeter, where fantasy becomes reality. Anything's possible. Anything's possible. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.